I would say about nature's perfectness in its imperfections. If you think about those woods, we don't expect a wood or woods or forest to have all the woods, all the trees rather, at the same shape, the same size, the same height, the same number of leaves. We accept all of those, even of the same type of tree, we accept that you know, some trees have got deeper roots and others have had to fight for, you know, that all those trees are perfect because they've had to use what's happened to them in order to be able to still be surviving. So why do we then think that we have to be some perfect like everybody else? It's like the world needs us in our own uniqueness in the same way as the world needs the every element in the, in nature. We accept nature in all of its gorgeousness and we need to accept ourselves in our own gorgeousness because that's what the world needs. It doesn't want it doesn't want trees all the same. It doesn't want all of us to be the same. It wants Alison with her quirkiness and Agnes with hers. It's mean, it's like that's what makes the world go round. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer. Some people don't like the term, but I think, like many other words, it's all in how you say it. My umbrella business is Boom with a Bang, and I think we should keep that in mind as much as possible. We Boomer women don't have a lot of role models as we traverse this chapter, so the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to guests who might incentivize, encourage, teach you to embrace your wisdom, our wisdom. With this incarnation of the Boomer Woman's podcast, I'm interviewing people who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at boomwithabang.com. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, message me. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Nature. It's all around us and certainly in the news on a daily basis right now. But did you know it can also be a metaphor for our lives? This may be the shortest introduction to a guest ever, as we're presenting a topic I don't think I know very much about, <laughs> nothing if not honest. So I'm going to let Allison explain the metaphor, amongst other things. Allison Smith, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Oh, thank you for your honesty, and thank you for inviting me to talk to you about a subject I feel very passionate about. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, because your passion will counter whatever my ignorance is okay so tell us about you and how you came to nature as the vehicle to explore your life and my life um I think I mean it goes back to the well mid-90s when I you know I'm a purchaser by profession um and I've moved into coaching since then but um, we were trying to, if you imagine anybody that's not into purchasing, if we're trying to teach other people in organisations, um, you know, all about supplier management, most people would fall asleep and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And um, but that's not what we wanted because we knew we'd got problems. And I started using gardening. So where it first started was using gardening because I was a passionate gardener, loved gardening. And he, certainly here in the UK, most people have either got a garden, they've got family members have got a garden, or we go and visit gardens, you know, at a weekend. And so most people understand that gardens need mowing, they need pruning, uh, weeding, some plants will work in some situations and not in others, some plants might need different soil conditions, time in a greenhouse, so everybody certainly here understands that as a concept, and so when you say to somebody who, well that's all the same for suppliers, that the suppliers you have for your organisation you need to think about whether they're in the right location. You need to think about weeding, feeding, watering them. Suddenly people go, oh, I've been plonking my supplier in the corner. It's a dark corner. I'm ignoring them. Is it any wonder I've got suppliers letting me down because I'm not giving them any TLC? I'm not doing anything. So, And that worked really well in, in the organisation I work for. And then I did a neuro-linguistic programming um, practitioner and master practitioner and suddenly went, well, hang on a minute. I was using gardening. Couldn't I chunk it up a bit to landscapes more generally? Oh, and it's not just supplier management, it's life. And therefore, in 2000, landscaping your life, where we use nature's landscapes as metaphors for our lives, was born, I suppose. And since then... I've just gone off in all sorts of different directions of, of and noticing how much we use nature in our language and how much when we're using it in our language, if I jump, you know, oh, oh, you've said that. So, you know, I want to turn a corner in my life. I'll jump on you. Not, li not literally, but I'll say, oh, that's interesting. Let's go and find a corner to turn. Or if you... Um, well, I suppose you must get great falls um, where you are. Um, our, our leaves don't, you know, don't go quite so beautiful. But um, if you want to turn over a new leaf, I'll go in the fall. Let's go and turn leaves over. And so I suppose there's a I use nature, but I also embody what we're saying. So if you're at a crossroads, I'll say, let's go and find a crossroads um and so what it's there's lots of different tools and techniques using nature as your uh, metaphor that enables you to see the situation differently because just like going back to those suppliers if i'd have said to somebody oh tell me the problem you've got with a supplier oh you'd have got all of the moaning the groaning the whinging um a gossiping you know, it's all their fault. They're horrible. They're doing everything wrong. And, and you get caught up and, and lost in all of the detail and the content. When we use metaphor, we can't bring the content with us. So all we're doing is looking at a, oh, I'm not feeding them. I'm not paying them attention. And then later we go, well, what does that, atten what does that attention look like? So it also stops us going round and round in circles, defending our current view of the world. Okay, now it's starting to come a bit clearer. This is great. Um, yeah. And I, I think I really appreciate, you know, your whole concept or your concepts, plural, uh, because I, I really appreciate and enjoy and use metaphors in so many different parts of life. Yeah, it's it's so good to just, it's a different way to look at the same old thing. So. Yeah, definitely.
Okay, so I did admit that I'm not 100% sure what you're doing here. So instead of notes, I have words or phrases, if I can just give them to you, and you take the conversation where you will. Ooh. You know, this is going to be one of those times when I wish we were videotaping or like, you know, doing the video as well, because you and I both talk with our hands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Okay, first word is patterns. Patterns. Oh, golly, yes. Um, nature's just patterns. Or, or There's patterns everywhere. There's either patterns of growth, so from seeds through to harvesting. There's patterns in the tides. Uh, now, patterns, the interesting thing is tides are not the same world over. So here in the UK, we get two a day, but there are some places in the world it would seem where, uh, because of wherever it is located, they don't quite get the same number of tides or it doesn't do quite the same thing. But we get tides, we get sunrises and sunsets. We've got um, seasons. Again, that changes dependent on where we are in the world. But um, so here in the UK, we get four seasons. You know, it, some nearer the equator might only get, you know, wet season, whatever. Um, so there's all those seasons. And the beautiful thing is, is we all understand most of those. You know, we see the sunrise and we know that the sun sets later. And so when we're using it as a metaphor, we've got a huge amount of information that we already am, are aware of and therefore can relate to our situation. So you know, a dead end, for instance, we can, the pattern of a dead end, most people would go, there isn't any more options, it's quite dark, you know, even if we talked metaphorically, we'd be able to come up with a whole load of characteristics for a dead end, which we could then say, does that really apply to your current situation? Because one of the things that I'm exploring at the moment is we might say we're at a dead end, about a situation so it's like i'm at a dead end there's nowhere i can go you know that's it <laughs> and our language reinforces that stuckness we're using the dead end to describe there aren't any options i can't do anything else other than turn around and go back the way i've come but if you go to a dead end in nature i've yet to find one where it is a true dead end. There's always a path out. There's always something that you hadn't seen. I, I went, this is why I love going out into nature. So I, oh, let me go and find a dead end. And you couldn't see the other route out until you got to the dead end. So you really had to have conviction because you had to go right up to sort of the wall in front of your face to say, I'm at this dead end. Oh, but there's the the route out and so that's really quite powerful if you're talking to somebody who really feels like their situation is a dead end because they can go oh perhaps it's not as as dead endish as i thought so they I, I always describe it as if we go out into nature and embody how they're feeling is every time we find new solutions it's as if it opens doors in their mind to the solutions to the real life situation because they've their language has said i'm stuck and that closes a door i'm stuck there aren't any other ways to see it i can't go any further and it's as if our um brain has then closed down all of our access to any wisdom within and therefore going out into nature and using metaphor in this way 
goes, oh, it's possible. And as soon as we start thinking it's possible, those little doors in our mind go and open. And then suddenly we start seeing solutions that we didn't think were there, but all we needed to do was talk to our inner wisdom. Because I, I absolutely believe our inner wisdom knows we just need to find a way to talk to it. And metaphor for me is how we do it. Yeah, I'm breathing a sigh of relief here because Sorry. I'm starting to see and and so this can become a bit of a conversation, I think. Um, <laughs> cool. Now, now, two thoughts is, first of all, nature almost becomes the only metaphor because it's one of the only things in the world that everybody has. Everybody has some sort of a, a natural environment around them, even if you know, mine is different than, you know, somebody who yeah. lives in South Africa, for example. Yeah. So, um, so that's great. Now, a question on, like, for example, you were talking about the dead end, is if you go in and say on some occasion, you actually do see the trees so close that you cannot squeeze through them. So it is, in fact, a dead end. Is it okay to sort of come back out yeah. And then say, okay, there's another route through this then. Yes. The thing is, is that um, before now, I, I'll have done that with somebody or it's they want to turn a corner. And I think, you know, I've been doing this 20 years. And I think even now I go, could this be the time when I turn a corner and they don't get any insight? Or could this be the day that we go to the dead end and have to go back? And... And nature just provides whatever we need. It's like if the person, the chances are, if somebody has to go back and go round a different route, that's what it's applicable to their real life situation at this moment in time. Would be my understanding of what happens. It's like we we notice the patterns because you could be there with me and you might notice a different pattern. And I might be very resistant to you going, oh, look, there's a path up here. And I'll go, no, 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 I'm heading for the dead end. And it is about going with the person because it's their pattern that they need to unravel, I suppose. So it might be they do have to go up to the dead end and they have to admit this is a dead end. Yeah. So why do I keep going down the dead ends? You know, what? and then it might be a conversation about, so at what point along this walk, did we know it was a dead end? Oh, well, I knew a mile away it was a dead end. There was a signpost that said, dead end this way. Um, and so it's those sorts of things that that, that we embody. It's, it's like somebody the other day said, oh, I'm at a crossroads. And every crossroads we came to, they wanted to go down the crossroads that didn't have a signpost. And that was, so, I can't tell you how big an insight that was for them because in work they were being told you've got to go down the path that's got the signpost and so they 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 then realized the reason they were struggling at work was that they weren't on the same page about what they wanted to do in work they wanted to go down new paths they wanted to do the signposts themselves and so it gave them a language that they had not appreciated that to have a conversation with work about Oh, this is why we're struggling. It's a bit like medicine walks in as much that if you walk with the intention of getting insight about a particular situation, we run the patterns of that situation and we can't help but to do. So we might be confident normally walking through a wood. 
And suddenly when we take a situation that we're grappling with into the wood, we might feel fearful, we might doubt, but there, but all that's happening is bringing out the pattern for us to go, oh, that, oh, that's the pattern. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, so what can we now do about that? And we can then embody it in the wood and then they can go, oh, I'm feeling something about this situation I don't normally do and, and relate it to the real life situation. So correct me if I'm wrong, is, is there a certain point where it's about habits and probably bad habits that I have developed within myself where I'm always choosing the dead end for whatever reason is, you know, is in my brain or for that person that, you know, didn't want to follow the signposts because they are an innovator. They love finding new ways or, you know, like maybe there is a better, <laughs> a better mousetrap sort of thing. Possibly. I think it depends on the situation you're taking into it. In that instance, that was a huge aha about a real big pattern that they have in their lives. And I suppose I'm noticing that more. So, so it's the fact that most of the recent clients, that has been the case, that what we've taken is a bigger insight about, oh, I always do that, you know. So one of the patterns and that's what I'm, I'm pulling together at the moment. But I think that's just that that's the energy at the moment. It's like one of the common patterns I'm seeing at the moment is everybody's going, I'm at a crossroads. And it's like, you're not there yet. I mean, it's really interesting. It's like you're acting as if you're at the crossroads. I've got a decision to make. I've got a decision to make. I'm at this crossroad. But, but you're thinking about the decision half half a mile before you've got there. It's like, well, hang on a minute do you really know what the options are? So let's have a, so it is, so that is a pattern. It's like, a, oh, you've started to think about where you want to go and we haven't got there yet. Let's see what happens when we get there. How does that, oh, there's more options than I thought. Oh, okay. So, so yes, yeah, sometimes it will definitely be uncovering patterns of behavior. Um, what do I call them? I call them, uh, which way around is it? Uh, zigs. So it's zigging and zagging, but zigs are, uh, things that inhibit growth and zags are so it's sort of like disrupting and going a different way accelerate our growth but they're all patterns of behavior I knew an elderly gentleman what you reminded me of is an elderly gentleman I knew years ago and one of his favorite phrases was if you come to a fork in the road take it Ooh. and that's with your crossroads is yeah. like instead of dithering like yeah. you're talking about you know worrying about the crossroads before you even get to it but even when you get to the crossroads instead of dithering make a make a choice even yeah. if to go back it's the dead end and you have to come back and take another choice you know I, I don't know I'm yeah. probably the, the, really messing up your theories here no 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 because there's no right or wrong and I've just you, I could now take this off at a few different um directions do it, do it. The, yeah, but I've but I've got to, I've I've distracted myself now. One of one of the things was, oh, okay, yeah. So let me just write this down because I'll forget. There's half a path, and then there's the destination at the crossroads. Okay, so I've written a, a poem called Paths and Destinations, and one of the paths is not making a decision until you get to the crossroads. So some paths are just a means of getting to a crossroads, and then we'll make a decision about which destination we go to. But when I was embodying that for a podcast, or for an episode of my podcast, oh my God, 
did it bring up my pattern of, of wanting to know when the crossroads was, wanting the map? I mean, literally, and this is part of the embodying of it, but in the podcast, I am absolutely laughing at myself going, I don't know where the crossroads is. And I have such a big, big desire to turn around because I hate not knowing where I'm going. There's only one path. I have just committed to going to the cross to the first crossroads, then I'll decide what to do. But all I want to do is run back to the beginning. But for the podcast episode, I will persevere. And of course, you know, I went round a corner and the crossroads was there, but it was huge, that desire to know where I was at and not be in that, actually, I haven't got all the information yet. I don't, I can't make a decision. So, you know, and, I, and it, perhaps that then links to the, a quote that I've got in my book about you can't walk half a path. And this comes back to what you've just said. You can't walk half a path. You have to commit to a whole path. doesn't matter how long or short of it is. But if you set out going, I'm going to get to A and only get halfway there and then go, oh, I'm not sure this might not be right. And then you go back to the beginning and then you do the same about B. You don't learn anything and nothing happens other than this yo-yoing stuckness. So even if it's, you know what, I'm going to go to A and then I'll decide whether or not that's where I want to be. But there's a commitment to getting to that whole path, as I call it, which links to what you said. Yeah. Okay. Is there a point where you can choose the path and, you know, you've just finished saying, I need to go to the end to be sure it's not right. But can there be markers along the way? Like if I'm on this path and we've talked about the fact that I'm in Canada and our forests are really big <laughs> and I come across a bear and then I come across a cougar, yeah. I might think I don't want to go any further this way. I'm going to turn around and find the path well-traveled, <laughs> the paved oh. road, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so there's those markers, as I yeah. say, along the way that we know that this is the wrong path. Lovely. And, and therefore, if that was happening a lot on a walk, so if we went for a walk and that was happening a lot, where every time we went down a path, there was things that we should turn away from because that's scary, we might turn around and go, okay, so what what do we need to do to be feel safer? And so it might just bring up a whole conversation because that might be what's happening in life as well. Might not. But we'd sort of know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's the reason I always keep turning around because I keep the fight or flight is kicking in at every corner. And these are all, you know, a bear, we're not going to argue with a bear, but perhaps that's how life feels. So what can you do to prepare for the bear? What can you do to mitigate against any of the risks? How might you reflect that in your situation? And does that then enable you to take action? Because the likelihood is if you're you've got a situation where it feels fearful because every time you try and go down a route, something horrible happens over time. You'd learn, you know what? I'm no, I'm just going to stay where I am. It's better. It's safer here. You're going to learn to shoot a gun and travel with a friend. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, we have to be careful with the metaphors, but I think it is that it, what I've learned to trust and this is not clean language. So there are books written about using metaphor, which suggests that I am imposing so much on other people because I am saying the normal patterns of nature apply, that a forest sits within a wider landscape. 
Now, the advocates for clean language using metaphor would say you can make no such assumptions. So I am definitely um, imposing a world, you know, a view that says landscape connects to other landscapes, day follows night, etc. And therefore, I trust when when we're exploring a metaphor that those patterns exist. So, I, so if something happens, I will always follow the. So what's the what's the pattern in nature here? Oh, do we need to change season? Would it be different if it was winter? Uh, oh, that feels better. Oh, no, no, that feels worse. You know, and and just explore it a bit because this is just a metaphor. This is just a means of us presenting the problem and seeing it in front of us. I suppose that's the thing. It's like we're taking at this problem that we're grappling with that we can't see and we and we're struggling to make sense of. We're saying. Logical thinking, please go on a coffee break because you're doing my head in. You haven't helped thus far, but please come back when I've got a bit more insight. Go on a coffee break. I'll come back to you. And then we're going, OK, so let's use the landscape and sort of put that problem in front of us. Then we can grapple around with it and sort of go, oh, oh that tree represents this or that tide means this or winter means this. And then once we've sort of made sense of everything metaphorically then we can sort of say right then logic come on what does that mean in in relation to the real life situation i should think listening to you explain that a whole bunch of your abilities in helping other people comes from 20 years of experience because they're so often well they're probably just about every time there's been a way to find the next step the solution the pattern the it's trusting it it is absolutely trusting you know because many a time the person could be talking and we can be starting out on the walk and i'm going oh this is different oh i've not heard this before oh my god this is going to be the time when it doesn't happen you know that i fail you know we fail to get insight and then it's like, no, let's trust nature. Let's trust the fact that when we walk around that corner, something will happen, you know, because it always does, because the person is looking for the solution and therefore they will notice the pattern. I sometimes might have to ask a question that sort of enables them to look in a particular direction and go, oh, oh right, yeah. Um, so I do sometimes do these sessions virtually. So the person is, so I've had somebody walking around um, in Florida, for instance, but I'm in my office here, but they're there and they can show me what they can see. So I might say, oh, stop, what can you see now? We had gators in the water nearby, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I can't be there to keep you safe. I need you to keep yourself safe. <laughs> <laughs> if there was gators, I'd be running. Um... <laughs> <laughs> we forgot about them at one point. He said, he said, there are gators here, you know, Alison. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, different realities okay we had a bit of a discussion before i clicked record about a phrase that you use that you can't see the wood for the trees and we determined that while it is sort of like we can't see the in north america i think we say we can't see the forest for the trees but you don't want a big forest so by adding s hopefully you can't see the woods for the trees can you go there now that I've explained it to the okay. listeners? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so so certainly here we would say can't see the wood or woods for the trees. 
And it's just, uh, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. I'm confused. There's just too much information. Overwhelm, really. So that's when the phrase is used. What I realized was, again, we're using the phrase to describe being stuck. We're using the phrase to describe the overwhelm and lack of options. So the words we're using are reinforcing the stuckness. But what I realized was, but what would you do in a real wood or woods or even a forest? Um, I'll add in why I, forest, forest is unhelpful as a term um, from a metaphorical point of view. But what would you do if you went out into, you know, that place that's got lots of trees? Um, oh, well, I could cut some trees down. I could climb a tree. I could follow a path out. I was taking some business leaders through some woods here in, in the UK. So they're not that big compared to where you are. <laughs> we weren't going to get lost. Let's put it that way. And however, there was sort of six of us looking a bit puzzled and confused and like a forest warden, you know, walked past and turned to us and said, do you want a map? Now, I've had I thought that that it hasn't that wasn't the only time that's happened where we're looking confused and somebody walks past and says, oh, do you need a map? So, of course, that then leads us to a conversation about uh, do we need to ask people for help? Because in this instance, the, the person with the map is somebody out with our group. So might that be the solution to your problem that you're struggling with, that you've not asked somebody for a map about your situation? You know, how many people have done what you're doing, you know, before? And perhaps you just need to ask them how they did it rather than I'm going to forge this on my own and do it all, you know, new. The interesting thing sometimes, though, that's happened with that saying is one of the common things is people are using the woods as a distraction. Because when I say to them, where do you want to be? Oh, there. I mean, they absolutely are so clear about where they want to go. And I go, so why aren't you doing that? Oh, well, this path might be more interesting. Or, oh, look at that bridge. That bridge looks interesting. But which, where do you want to go? Oh, I want to go in that direction. And the bridge is not in the direction they're pointing, nor is any, any other path. And so sometimes we're using the can't see the wood for the trees as a means of keeping ourselves in that holding pattern of, I don't know, fear, procrastination. And so somebody turned around and said that insight enabled them to, to um, times five, five their business turnover because they realized they'd got lost in the woods about their business. They knew what they wanted to do with their business and they just had to absolutely focus on that objective and just not allow any other path to be a nice, shiny, you know, uh, shiny new thing and go, no, no, I know where I want to get to. I'm going to do it. And, and that comes back to what you were saying earlier about the patterns in life, that walking in a wood and seeing lots of nice things and getting distracted. And yet every time I said to that person, where do you want to get to? I oh, know it's there. Never change. There was never any doubt about where they wanted to get to. So why are you getting distracted with this path? Oh, I don't know. I want to go that way. Well, fine. Then let's just walk that way, shall we? The thought I had when you were explaining about the person who wanted to go that way, there yeah. was no path, there was no bridge. No, um, possible the word there was. But anyway, sorry, carry on. Well, no, no, what I was going to say was, is there a possibility that they always want to go where they're, it, it's impossible to go as a way of never making a decision? 
Oh, could be. Yeah, absolutely. In which case it would be, so why do you want to get there? Is there somewhere else? Or so we plot a path. Perhaps you need to get the match it out or whatever it's called to cut some trees down because the good thing is, is in our minds, we can cut trees down. I'm not advocating that if people, you know, where if people are embodying it in a real woods, that uh, they start cutting trees down. But in their minds, they could imagine, oh, all right. So, yes, I've got this loads and loads of trees between me and my destination and I cannot get through those trees. So in my mind, I'm going to imagine cutting those trees down or I'm going to imagine what was it we had? My uh, graphics lady did me a, um, a picture of a, a jet pack. You know, I'm going to put a jet pack on and um, I'm going to fly over the trees um, or it might be a hot air balloon. So what you can do if the real wood or how somebody's expressing it is so impenetrable that they poss couldn't possibly walk through it is just to explore what how, what could you do? You know, in the and and then that then leads into the the sort of the woods or the forests in our minds, and therefore you've then got a bit more option about making changes that you couldn't in real life. So in real life, if I'm in front of these trees, I can't change the type of tree. But when a friend rang me one time and said, "Oh, I can't see the wood for the trees. Oh my God, I've got a deadline at five o'clock. Ah, ah, what am I going to do?" And I said, oh, I'm just writing the chapters of my book. So I gave her, you know, the, the sayings, you know, did it feel like you were stuck in a rut and going around in circles? No, 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 no. Can't see the wood for the trees. All right. She said, it's huge. It's huge. It's a huge forest. Now, here in the UK, the phrase isn't you can't see the wood for the uh, forest for the trees. So I said, well, it's impossible to see the whole forest in one go. So you're trying to do the impossible. You, and so as soon as I said, you're trying to do the impossible, you're trying to see too much because, you know, and we were saying before, you know, was it? You said forests are provinces big. So, you know, that's impossible to see it in one go. I mean, you might be able to from, you know, if we went, went up in space, perhaps. But, you know, so we're trying the impossible. So as soon as I said to her, it's can't see the wood for the trees. She went, oh. Now, she was imagining this in her head and she went, oh, the type of tree has changed to a beech tree. Now, you and I do not need to know why it changed to a beech tree. But to her, she went from a big two, you know, lots and lots and lots of trees. And I can't remember what sort of trees they were. But she went from lots of them that were panicking her and overwhelming her to going, oh, no, it's, it's a smaller number of trees. They're all beech trees. And she literally, because she'd got that deadline in a few hours' time, said, oh, that feels better. I'm going now. Bye. And hung up the phone. Because we'd taken her to... So that conversation, however weird it might seem to somebody listening, because that isn't their understanding of, you know, woods and trees and whatever. But for that particular person and that conversation, literally no more than five minutes, when she went from being overwhelmed to knowing what to do and therefore her putting the phone down was oh right i've got this deadline for five o'clock i need to crack on the, the one person who keeps on coming to to mind is winnie the pooh because he has the hundred acre wood you know and it's it, it, it's big enough but it's certainly manageable um i'm going to throw you a curveball here insofar as we live in the age of technology do you ever find people there well, there must be an app for that 
you know, so instead of trying to figure it out and chart a course, they just want to rely on their technology because technology can do so many things. Oh, but that but that's interesting. I, I suspect that's because I would suggest they can do that after we've explored it in nature or or that people with that preference don't pick up the phone and talk to me. That's <laughs> like, oh, she's going to take me out. But I mean, you know, a lot of the, you know, if I think about the person that I've had recently, I do have a lot of engineers. I had a lot of techie guys. I did find myself using software analogies and metaphors a little bit, but I still come back to the wood or the trees or the paths. And I just allow the possibility of tech being able to sort help them later once they've got an action plan, I suppose. Okay, I'll, I'll put my phone away. <laughs> okay, now, now speaking of the phone, I mean, I'm, I'm notorious for just looking at the compass, but you talk about our inner compass. Yeah, the, I suppose for me, our inner compass knows, uh, you know, we know at one level, we know what we want to do. So even when we're confused, there's a part of us that does know. And so for me, a load of these techniques are about hearing the whispers of our inner wisdom, as I call it. So I, I think our inner compass or inner wisdom just needs to be, it's, it's on a different wavelength, I suppose, to our logical thinking and therefore we just need to tune into it and I just think that for me I've found that metaphor enables us to tune into that inner wisdom so it enables us to sort of connect to that inner compass that goes oh I, I know I want to go in that direction and you know what I'm committing to going in that direction and I'm not going to allow these other paths or any of these other distractions or any of the shiny you know new bridges or whatever the guy was seeing I'm just going to follow that path. I suppose what people finish the sessions with is a much more conviction about what they want to do. And I think that comes from having listened to their inner wisdom because they've had a conversation and it's like, oh, because it's like they're coming home, aren't they? They're going, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to do all along. Yeah, 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 I'm going to do that. I, I guess that leads me to ask how many people do or do not trust that inner wisdom well if everybody did trust it i wouldn't have a job <laughs> oh, okay thank you there you so go it yeah. would be my because because you know when i look at what i'd like to change in the world it's it is about helping people get unstuck but actually a lot of it is about us taking our authentic and you know selves into businesses and into organizations and at one level we all know how we should act in business. We, we understand what it means to be human. And that human humanity means not telling lies, you know, being open to people, collaborating. And we all know that. And yet we go into organizations and it's as if we cut off that inner wisdom and that, well, I don't know. It's like we tell kids, I don't, I don't care that you broke the pot. I care that you're lying to me about breaking it. And then we walk into business or politics and that goes out the window. And so I, I don't know whether whether I'm doing this in order for people to listen to their inner wisdom in order for that, therefore, to become more of a possibility when they work into business. I don't know. But I know I feel very strongly about taking humanity into business with us. Makes, yeah, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> OK, now you used the phrase 
just a few minutes ago, and it's on my list about going round in circles. Oh, this is such a great technique. So, so that anybody listening, I would say, invite them to just put us on hold whilst they think about, and, and obviously don't forget to put us back on hold again, or off hold, and think of, because I'm just going to give them an ins, um, um, some instructions. But what they need to do is think of a situation that they're going round in circles about. So that might just take a few seconds for them to think about, oh, yeah, 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 there's that situation with that person or in this area of my life, yeah, I'm here again, you know. So having done that, then I'd like them to get, I mean, they, they can walk it and they can do it without a pen and paper, but it was preferable to get a pen and paper. So it's pen and paper and to have thought of a situation they're going around in circles on. So assuming that they've put us on hold and they're now coming back and, <laughs> and they've got all the pen and paper and they've got the situation, the idea is to go, okay, so I would like you to draw the circle that you feel like you're going around in. And everybody can do that. I mean, bizarrely, you know, as much as it sounds strange, everybody go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they start drawing the circle. And then it's like, well, notice how slowly or quickly you're going and uh, speed it up. Oh, and now speeding it up might make it worse, might make it better. Just notice what you notice. Slow it down. Change direction. And so the idea is, is to have some fun with the circling. Now, you can do it walking it as well. So I've had people in woods walking the circles. And the whole idea is, is that we change it, you know, slower, bigger circles or my hands are doing smaller, smaller circles, bigger circles, quicker circles, different direction circles. And what happens is, and sometimes I'm really lucky, and I the first question I ask somebody, it stops them in the tracks and they go, oh, oh, I know what I need to do. Sometimes you need to make a few changes. So last week when I said to somebody, go round in triangles, it was like they... This does not compute. It's like, oh, what, what? So they were doing it in triangles. And then they went, and oh, that's right. And then I said, what about squares? And for them, the squares made so much more sense because it was like, oh, I just need to do Because for them, drawing the, the squares had four sides and each of the four sides represented an action. So rather than it feeling very confusing and they weren't getting anywhere, they went, oh, I just need to go up this side, then that side, then that side, then the other side. I've had somebody else say, oh, I'm circling the moon and I need to slingshot back to Earth. So they sort of quickly zoomed around the moon. They drew the moon in the middle of their circle. And then they did a big, so really quick, and then they did a slingshot back to Earth. And that shifted something. So all we're trying to do is shift something in your brain from I'm circling and I'm just going around in a circle and I can't see the solutions. And just by playing around with that, because it might be if you've got different pens, you might need to, oh, what happens if you change the color of the pen? What happens if you add music to the circling? So there's so there's all sorts of, and, and you know, if you're very kinesthetic, then absolutely you might need to walk it. But what happens really quite quickly doing that one, and I'm hoping that anybody listening will have gone, oh, that's amazing. Um, is that something will have shifted and that, and that they've gone from that, 
I don't know what to do. This is draining my energy. Oh my God, this again. To going like like the person the other week. Oh, I just need to do this. Now, the difficulty is, is these techniques can shift somebody's thinking that quickly. And it doesn't feel that profound because they've gone, they forget they were confused and they go, oh, I know what to do. Well, I knew what to do all along anyway, but but that's fine. I don't mind. It's like all we've done is opened a door in the mind and the mind and the inner wisdom have gone, here you are, here's the solution. You've just been hiding from it. And then, and so the drawing of the circling is fabulous. What I was thinking of there is how often we will walk somewhere and I, I guess a parking lot is typical you park the car and you're walking to the mall and when you come out of the mall you don't know where the car is because the scenery is different from when you left the car and I do find myself I get to the mall and I turn around and look and then mm. I say, okay, there, there's the car. When I come out, I will know where it is. Mm. Whereas so often we're so busy, our brain is already in the mall that we yeah, forget to yeah. do that. And so by going around in a circle and switching direction, things do look different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting good I at mean, job. Somebody, somebody one time, I had a few people on a small workshop. They each embodied it. We went outside. One person went all the way around the building came back and went, oh, I was going the wrong way. And then just walked the other way and went that better. So for them, it was a different direction. The other person just needed to turn around. And as soon as they turned around, the circling stopped. It's like, oh, I've been going in the wrong direction. So, I mean, sometimes I can be there for five minutes trying to make changes, thinking, well, this is never going to work. But it, it's, there is always something that we need to do. But um, oh, it's such a brilliant one. Can you imagine? Somebody says to me, I feel like I'm going around in circles. Well, I'd like you to get a pen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, let's, you know, oh, I want to turn a corner. Come on, let's go and find a corner to turn. In doing that, I mean, you were laughing as you said that, but in doing that, yeah. does it just yeah. jig the brain? Yeah. Enough I was reading, to... I, was, I was listening to Move by Caroline Williams a book and that sort of was giving me a clue as to why embodying it in nature is adds to it because what she says is and I you know there's loads more theory than I can remember in the book but it's really interesting about what embodying things do about moving forward our body moving forward um there's all sorts of beautiful things in our mind that would help but what I find on a corner turning a corner is <laughs> is that you can't see round the corner. So everybody imagines the corner is going to have no options, it's going to be darker, it's going to be... And and, and it, I can't tell you. It's like we walk around the corner, it's like, oh, my God. I mean, the other week, we were going around a corner, and I'm thinking, oh, again, is this going to be one of those corners that isn't going to work? And, um, and we walk around, and the sun caught the light of the leaves, and it was like, oh, my God. This is, oh, and it was a straight path. It's like there was no bends. I mean, we had not, up till then, we were in the Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh. We had not seen a straight path up till then. And yet we turned the corner. This is towards the end of the session. We turned the corner. It's like, it's a straight path ahead. 
And, um, oh, it was just brilliant. So turning the corner, because the other thing is, is once you get round the corner, all the things you were worrying about, because when you try to look back, you can't see any of what you were worrying about because you can't see it. So quite often, that's really quite, um, I suppose from what Caroline Williams is saying in her book, is the fact that we've left that behind and it's round the corner. So it's not even behind us we can't see it and therefore we've told ourselves it's in the past it's gone we've got this new way to look at things oh all right okay so you actually had a talking point on your profile about using our language to find solutions how, how do we do that um it's just noticing the metaphors so noticing as soon as you or somebody else says I can't see the woods for the trees or the forest for the trees or I need to turn a corner or I'm going round in circles or treading water <laughs> for my podcast uh, series two of my podcast which is landscaping your life um podcast um embodied all of these sayings and um so treading water meant that I went out to the beach here in Burnt Island in Scotland so I'm there with with my phone on a selfie stick, treading water in my wetsuit. Now the water was, I don't know, six degrees. So I think that's about 42, 42 or something like that. So cold. And um, but we, you can we tell do I'm cold. here. We, it's okay, we do Celsius. All right, so it's six. So it's the water's six, the air temperature's about the same. And I'm there, you know, treading water. And um somebody left a comment to say, well, we could feel the cold with you. But it's the if you feel like you're treading water, what would you do if you were treading water? And you don't have to go and into the, to the water to find solutions. But invariably, exploring the metaphor will give you solutions that you didn't think were possible. Because quite often you're using these metaphors to reaffirm your stuckness. And so it's that, you know, I'm stuck in a rut. I'm stuck. Well, hang on a minute. What would you do in a real rut? Rut. Let's go and find a rut. Rut's, rut's a hard one, actually, because lots of people have different visions of what a rut is. But, you know, out on a limb, uh, going around in circles, treading water, what else is there? Oh, like a fish out of water. I mean, how, you know, I don't know. Do you have that phrase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. of them. Well, the thing is, when I was writing the chapter, so I wrote all my chapters out in nature for Can't See the Wood for the Trees book. And um, can't see that the, the, the fish out of water was enlightening for me because what's the first thing we say to somebody when they say, I feel like a fish out of water? Oh, no, no, you're all right. You'll get better. It's just, You just need to expand your comfort zone. You'll feel better in a few days. The thing is, they're telling you they feel like a fish out of water. Now, there's only one or two fishes that can survive out of water. So their language is saying, I need to get to a place of safety. Not, so they do not want to be told, oh, you'll survive, you'll be okay. So for me now, if somebody says, I feel like a fish out of water, it's like, okay, so what, what would enable you to feel safe? Let's get you to a place of safety. Let's get you feeling, because when you're like a fish out of water, you've got no access to brain. I suspect you've got no access to inner wisdom either. All you're doing is in fight or flight survival mode. That is what, if you if you follow it literally, that's what they're saying when they're giving you that language. So the first thing we need to do is go, okay, let's get you, if you were the fish, let's get you back into the water. Now, 
Now you're back in the water, you're feeling safer. How can we get you to where you were wanting to be? What preparation might we want to do? What can we do? do, we, do we, can we hold your hand? What is it that's going to enable you to now get from where you are to where you want to be without that gasping for air? And so now that is me being very literal about the, the saying, but I make no apologies for that because it's just, well, that's the, that's the logic I'm using. I'm using the logic of if you were real fish out of water, what would you do? You wouldn't tell them, well, just get on with it. <laughs> That's not. So why do we do that to people when they say it? So for me, going back to your earlier question, it is about that whole watching out for people's language and then exploring that metaphor in their language. If if you can get out into nature and embody it, great. You don't have to. Um, but quite often just on just I suppose the other thing is, is not to, to keep jumping between reality and the metaphor. Because if you go, oh, it means this, you sort of dissolve the benefit of the metaphor. It's like if you can spend five or 10 minutes in the metaphor, just coming up with a lovely list of solutions. So if it was the wood for the trees, paths, maps, cutting trees down, higher vantage points, and then let's wonder what, then let's apply logical thinking to go, so what's a map look like in this situation? What's a path looks like in this situation? But one thought about vantage points. Again, I mean, I go out and, and do the podcast in nature. And you'd think after 20 years that I'd just be regurgitating. It's like, no, I, get, I love it. Because you just go in a different wood and you get a different insight. And I get excited. Well, I get excited anyway. But I get excited and go, oh, my God, guess what? And um, so in the Paths and Destinations poem, there's one about some paths are simply a means to get to a higher vantage point so that we can see everything. But I went, there's a hill behind my house and I went up to what I thought was a fairly good vantage point. And I could not stop laughing because I'm looking, but it's still the same 180 degrees I've got from home. It's just, I don't know, a hundred meters higher, but it wasn't, it wasn't giving me loads more. I was just a bit higher. So if we need to get to a higher vantage point, we do need to make sure that we're getting 360 degrees worth of view is my yeah, insight I get. It's like sometimes we think we've, we've stepped far enough about to get a better perspective over something, but all we're doing is we've gone up that hill and we're just looking at the same view. You know, it's like, yeah, I can see it higher. I can just see a bit more across the fourth. I, I look over to Edinburgh. It's like, yeah, I can see... I can see a bit more of the water than I can at the house, but it's still Edinburgh I'm looking at. Whereas if I'd gone a bit further, then I'd see through all 360. And another time on the podcast, I got the whole insight about the answers behind me. And we're spending all our time looking in front. It's like, she's got to turn around, Alison. Okay, I'm first of all, thank Zoom for keeping the distance between us because I would have been whacked about 18 times right then. <laughs> Yeah, with my hands. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, I mean, I could come up with another dozen questions, but I'm going to go straight to our audience. They're mid-age women. What haven't we talked about that you think mid-age women should think about as they create this next chapter? I would say about nature's perfectness in its imperfections. Because we don't judge we don't look at nature 
If you think about those woods, we don't expect a wood or woods or forest to have all the woods, all the trees rather, at the same shape, same size, the same height, the same number of leaves. We accept all of those, even of the same type of tree, we accept that you know, some trees have got deeper roots and others have had to fight for, you know, that all those trees are perfect because they've had to use what's happened to them in order to be able to still be surviving. And I think that's what we have to remember in nature, that there's the, you know, bees don't want one, one flower. Bees want lots of different flowers because actually bees want to be able to pollinate throughout the year. So they have to go from one type of plant to another, dependent on the time of year for, for um, whatever they need. So, so why do we then think that we have to be some perfect like everybody else? It's like we're, the world needs us in our own uniqueness in the same way as the world needs the, you know, every element in, the, in nature. And so I think it's about, I suppose, claiming I wrote a poem called um, I Reclaim All My Parts.